it is way too overrated that you are only focused on what is beautiful on the exterior why not focus in what what is the interior of the soul of the person how long are you going to look at the person's face and be attracted <laughs> to them at some point you have to open up to the souls right yeah so this poem just addresses that that i'm okay with not being called beautiful you don't call me beautiful and that's fine because i am more than just being uh, something good to look at on the from the exterior i am more than that Hey Azra, how are you? Hi Cassidy, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm very excited to talk about you today. So this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. Welcome to the We Are Becoming podcast. I'm just really excited to learn more about you and hear more about your story. I am excited to share it. Well, I wanted to start off by giving a little introduction. Um So this is Azra Rahman and she is a blogger, an aspiring writer, a wife, mother, daughter, sister and friend. Her identity is held firm by each of the roles she has been blessed with. So first off, I loved that introduction. Um I loved all the different, you know, aspects of yourself that you included. Um and I loved the last line you said her identity is held firm by each of the roles she has been blessed with. So I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit more about what that means to you. So often and I'm not saying in a biased way, but often I've seen people just stick to one aspect of their personality, you know, that they there's nothing wrong in that but then i just feel it makes people too one dimensional it does not bring out the beauty of what the person encompasses all within themselves right asking any person regardless of their gender and identity they hold many roles in their lives like you know uh they could be a spouse they could be a parent they could be a sibling um uh, they could be relatives friends so why do you have to constrict yourself to just one identity it makes sense in specified situation as in if i go to my kids school and i introduce myself as the wife of my husband nobody is going to recognize me that way <laughs> they'd want me to know who's mother am i but that is a different thing in in generally in the generally speaking when you say your name it's just it's not just the name your parents gave you it means something to different people who are in your life it means something like you cassidy you mean something to your family right your family when they hear your name they'll think of something when your friends hear your name they would think of something else when your kid hears your name maybe she doesn't understand your name right now but <laughs> when she will hear your name she would think of something else so every single relationship that you hold dear it makes you it makes it doesn't make you but it it plays a huge part in making who you are that is what is meant you know it's it's a firm it's a fact that is like nobody you cannot take away take that fact away from anybody else and neither can you uh, subtract it from your own life it remains it is you know just it is tell us about your childhood what was that like um, i it was a very like if you know indian families 
if you know that you would know what i'm talking about but if you don't i'm just i'll just take a little bit of a liberty to explain it yeah, a little bit you. yeah so indian families in general most of us are middle class families okay and we have growing up we had this we still have that herd mentality in the sense that uh, the neighbors were also like family it wasn't secluded okay even if you lived in a neighborhood the kids everybody knew everybody else uh, there was there there would be no uh, limitation to where the kid could, could be at any given point of time we could eat anywhere in anybody's house our moms and our parents never mind these things okay anybody could come to our house we had this whole large group of friends it was a it was a fun childhood in that way uh, apart from the tests and the results when you have to face the parents but thankful <laughs> that part is gone but yeah overall it was a really nice childhood i had a lot of fun uh, growing up with my siblings uh, we had a lot of friends uh, our neighbors were pretty good and it really felt like a whole big family so that the influence of people around me in the way that uh, your neighbors are practically strangers right and with whom you get to know but the way these people took care of us my mom my dad uh, us as kids uh, it, it just impacted me in ways that i still uh, i still am trying to process it as in here in america the there are pros and cons to everything like here people know each other but they are not that involved in each other's lives okay uh, which i think is respectful to a degree you give the other person space to uh, either allow you or not allow you in their own lives in india there's no such thing as space no boundaries nothing so growing up it was uh, it did become a lot of fun uh, even my husband's family when i got married he also had a huge family like 30 40 people strong that kind of family which is huge so it wasn't hard for me to take what i learned from my childhood and go into that we always had a roof over our head we always had food on our, in our bellies we had clothes to clothe ourselves so we always were brought up with the mentality that yes you have it all good as in you're not struggling really struggling you're not sleeping on the pavement you're not sleeping to feed yourself and other people around you so for that we were always brought up to be thankful for what you have and see it in a different light so that has stuck with us all of us in that way and yeah my parents they were typical middle class indian people who just knew two two or three aspects of career career if it's a girl she might become a doctor or she might become a teacher or it's a boy engineer and if uh, any other way they could go for Uh, government exams government jobs bank jobs so these were the few career paths that our parents actually knew and trusted so it it was a very typical upbringing it was fun i lived in a small town where uh, the population wasn't so much even if you didn't know somebody personally you could just look at the face and tell that oh this person lives here or this person is an alien to this place it was that small town all the colors of india which you guys see in movies it's all true not all of them though but it is true to a lot of extent lot of like you know a lot a huge extent it it was good it was good yeah it was a pretty eventful nurturing and fun childhood i would say where was your hometown <laughs> where were you from in india there is a state of west bengal it's on the eastern side and in that 
the capital of West Bengal is now what is called Kolkata, but what was what most uh, Americans and Europeans know as Calcutta. It was okay. known as Calcutta, but now it's been changed back to the original dialect of Kolkata. And there is a small town near it. It's called Kharagpur, where I was. I spent most of my childhood there. And there is uh, in my maternal uh, grandparents' house, which is in Rachi, which incidentally I married in the same town. <laughs> and uh, yeah, these two cities were, these two, Rachi is a city, Kharagpur is a town. So I spent most of my childhood between these two places. So mm -hmm. it both were different experiences, but it was, uh, it's a cute town. It's a very cute town. It has all those elements of uh, a small Indian town, which you can possibly imagine. <laughs> That, yeah, that really helps me to have, you know, kind of an image of, you know, where you grew up and helps me to imagine that. Something that you remember most about your childhood is that you were reluctant to speak what you actually thought. Oh, yeah. But now you're a writer. <laughs> so that's like polar opposite. So I would love to hear, you know, how that influenced you. So it's not actually that polar opposite. I'll tell you why. When I couldn't, I still am not very comfortable with words, speaking words, verbal things, okay? Uh, and But I am really good at expressing them when I'm writing. So that happened, uh, that has been since my childhood. Right now, my the job, the career I'm pursuing demands me to be in public eye a little bit, okay? I have to speak up. Uh, thank, I'm really thankful for all the extracurricular I did in school. If I wouldn't have, I would be in a quite a mess, messy situation of my own creation. <laughs> but it's not that, uh, uh, like, you know, it's not a polar opposite in the sense that uh, what I couldn't speak, I would write it down. And for a long time, nobody knew that things were being written in my diary. Um, one thing you must know about Indian parents, like if they do not understand something, they would tag it as something dangerous, or something destructive, okay? And I think that goes true for everybody. You don't understand something, you just tag it as dangerous or which is potentially harmful. So the moment my mom find, found out that I'm writing poetry and a diary, she was like, oh, this is not good. She needs to talk to us. And I was like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Oh. <laughs> just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just write in my diaries. So mm -hmm. it, it is not. It, it just carried on uh, uh, to the point that uh, I didn't share a lot of my work with anybody. It was just hidden away, okay? Mostly because I wrote for myself. I did not think I would share it. The only people who actually had an inkling of that my writing were good was my teachers, were my teachers. Because I had to write papers and I had to submit to them. And then you have these tests where you're supposed to write a short story or an essay in under 30 minutes or 20 minutes. I was really good at it. And they were like, okay, yeah, you need to do more you need to uh, you know one of my teachers actually once I wrote a story and she told me in front of the whole class like you know you need to you should become a writer you have the potential to. Wow. Yeah, she was actually the first person to ever tell me that so yeah that uh, it doesn't sink my nature and my uh, the career I'm pursuing it's completely in sync mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought that but hearing you explain you know what that's like for you that that makes sense to me. So <laughs> I'm glad it does. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see, you know, how that would translate over, like you're saying. 
So tell us what was, what were some of your teenage years like? What did that look like? Drama, drama, and more drama. High school oh, no. drama. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's the, the, the high school musical that you see. And uh, a lot of people are like, oh, it's over-exaggeration. I can, I, I can attest safely to that. It is not over-exaggeration. There's a lot of drama in high school. And <laughs> unnecessary drama. And unnecessary tough characters emerging and unnecessary damsel in distress things. <laughs> but, <laughs> but through it all... Uh, Right now, like uh, I have passed, uh, passed all those years and I, I could like, you know, think back and I would laugh at them. Then it was like, oh my God, this is happening to me and all life and death and melancholy and nobody understands me. Although I was not, since I was not very forthcoming in my words, so my parents did not see that messed up or rebellious side of me, thankfully for them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did, uh, I did good in school. Uh, after my in India, the education system is such that you would have the tenth and the twelfth. So till tenth, it's like generic education. Okay, you get to study all the subjects. And after tenth, the eleventh and the twelfth, the two years, is when you choose either arts or science or commerce, either of these three fields. So it, depending on the school, uh, a lot of students would switch their schools after the tenth. My school did not have commerce, which I wanted to pursue. So I had to switch. And I went from an all-girls convent to a mixed school. I participated in a lot of extracurricular activity. I painted a lot. So other teachers from other classes, they would come and give me their, like, you know, decorations for their uh, classes to be painted. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so people knew me that way because I was involved in, in these kind of extracurricular activities. Did I doubt any teacher would, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I doubt that teachers would remember me for my academic capabilities. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they would remember me for my extracurricular ones. I, I'm sure of that, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think that you would become a painter? Was that ever a possibility? We didn't grow up thinking that these are potential fields. The only painter I knew was M.F. Hussain and Picasso growing up, okay? And these sounded like aliens to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And I, I used to look at the paintings and I was like, what the hell are they painting? You know, in Jenny Young, you don't understand these things. Right. Painting and writing were kind of stress busters for me. And my, the back pages of my school notebooks would always be filled with these doodles. And whenever I could, I, used, I would just sit and I would paint and draw and my classmates and friends would give me their books to paint and draw on so that they could keep it. I don't know what they did with it. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I used to do that. And my mom and dad actually didn't like it because they thought I'm just wasting wasting time. Instead of doing that, I could have studied. So I wouldn't say they didn't they weren't supportive, but I don't think they understood the importance of it, that it helps me release right. the stress. Right. Uh, no matter what you say, every stage in your childhood, every stage of your life, bears some or the other kind of stress on the said person. You cannot say that your teenage years are easier and your adulthood would be, you know, tougher. Mm-hmm. In that, in that patch of time, in that phase, it will it is tough. You can disqualify it later because oh yeah, I went through it. But then in that moment you do not feel as such, right? Yeah. You felt that pressure. So it's it, it it was a stress buster, but I never really thought that I could become a painter. It was just a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. The good thing was post-marriage, uh, my husband only encouraged me 
write and paint. If he would have suppressed, I did not leave it at the behest of my parents as well. Uh, I, I just never showed them. I just start, kept doing it out of the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I didn't leave it because I just thought that, you know, uh, if I, I, I'm not much of a talker, I don't share too much, too many things with other people. So these are the two things which I do only for myself. It helps me stay sane. Mm-hmm. I never left it. Well, one of the things that you mentioned from your teenage years that I thought was interesting was you said that it was challenging to figure out right from wrong. You know, that's something that we all have to kind of explore and figure out. Um, Is there anything that you wanted to share, you know, regarding that? Now as a parent, I could only talk as a parent, but uh, I do bring a lot of my own childhood experiences into my uh, now experience as a parent, as in I try to remember what I felt like as a child and then I act accordingly. One thing I would actually request all parents is to listen to your child. They might be blabbering like idiots, but listen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, when you listen to their blabberings, tomorrow it will be easier for them to come and tell you really important stuff. They would not feel constricted or pulled back by the notion that my my parent is not, my, my mom is not going to listen to me or my dad is not going to understand me. It happens to a lot of, especially in teenagers. Uh, biologically, too, they are growing, they have these hormones and stuff, which makes it kind of confusing. Uh, there's a lot of change happening. Uh, academically, there's a lot of change. Physically, there's a lot of change. So people, children, they teenagers, they do tend to get confused. But if they have that one mentor, whom, yeah, another thing I would want to tell parents is identify somebody who can be a good mentor to your child. It is extremely important because eight out of 10 times, there will be a time where the child will not be comfortable, no matter how close he or she is to you, they might not be comfortable sharing everything with you. Then they would seek somebody whom they could trust. So if you give that kind of individual to them, you know, Mm -hmm. foster that kind of relationship that, you know, even if the child is not coming to you with the issues, they are going to this person who you trust completely will not waylay your child. That is so crucial. I cannot underline and stress the importance of it, how crucial it is because we did not have those kind of people we did but then it was not fostered by the parent we found out and uh, uh, to our good luck or mercy from the almighty we found good people but you know what happens when you know people people are not always nice and children sometimes become the easiest targets to be manipulated it's extremely important that you plan ahead not just for education but when your child would have emotional needs that maybe you cannot fulfill. Mm-hmm. It is a scary possibility. And it seems very improbable to parents that, oh, it's my child. I'm going to look after him or her no matter what. It's true. But then the child is going to, to be their own individual as well. There's a point in time when they would want to break free from just being your daughter or your son. You know? And then that is the point they would need you the most. So <laughs> be prepared for that. Our parents were brought up in a very strict environment. Mm-hmm. In the sense that uh, their parents would say, you have to get up, they would get up. <laughs> their parents would say, you have to lay down, you have to lay down. Yeah. With us, they eased it. As in, we could talk to them. Okay. It wasn't all uh, like a Hitler rule where you have to just follow what they have, what, what is being said. But there was an element of, um, I wouldn't say uh, more, something more than respect, which made us not question them. Okay, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of fear 
I think there's a healthy, not in uh, the fear leans a little bit towards unhealthy side where parents think that if the child is questioning them, it's question he or she is questioning their authority. It yeah. is not the case. They're not questioning the authority. They're generally curious. They want to know what why you did. It. And uh, I find I find it really prominent in the parents who were parents before us, the previous generation. And it is um, it is natural for the children of those parents to sometimes feel not supported. But I would like to add here that I do recognize and realize that our parents did the best that they thought they could do. Right. There is no comparison. Tomorrow when my child grows up, then they might also see me in a different light as in my mom should have done this or my dad should have done this and they didn't do it. But right now I am doing my best. That is That remains a fact. So... I wouldn't say unsupported. I would say they did not understand because they were not brought up with that kind of thinking. They were brought up to listen and obey. They eased it up with us because they also didn't feel like that was the that was a good thing. Uh, that was a good environment for the child to go into just listen and obey. That does not work. So they eased it up for us. And now our kids can just ask anything to us, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's just a generational gap. And they still have a hard time wrapping their heads around me writing uh, for yeah. a career. But I just think it's a generational gap. Yeah. Uh, once, they, once, they, once they start seeing the reality or the practicality of what people want to do, I think it should be okay. As long as your parents are eager to learn. Mm-hmm. Mine are, thankfully. Now mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> because they have no additional, they, they have no more kids to bring up. So now they are open to learning. So that mentality has changed a lot from the past five years. Yeah. It has changed a lot. There's still work to be done, but then we are all a work in progress, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Most of my adulthood was, I got married when I was 22. So I married, like, I was actually among the first ones to get married in my entire school or college group. Oh, wow. The first. That was a precedent for a lot of parents that time. They would be like, oh, look at her. She's gotten married. Now. <laughs> so my friends didn't, they enjoyed my wedding, but then they'd be like, you know, you know, just, you just made things difficult for us. And they can't help it. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and were you in India at this time? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I, uh, after my 12th, I pursued commerce for two years, 11th and 12th. Uh, and then I moved to Ranchi, my maternal grandparents' home. Okay. For three years, I was there, uh, right from, yeah, around eight, 19 years of age to around 20, 18, 19 years of age. And I pursued, I switched my, uh, I switched my field of study from commerce to literature, uh, majors in literature, English literature. Mm-hmm. Then I started pursuing my BCom, uh, sorry, BA, Bachelor's in Arts. Three years were there, they flew by like so quickly. I the best thing that happened was like uh, my head of department, which we would call Dean, the equivalent of Dean India. He actually just uh, agreed to mentor me. Like I approached with some set of my poems. I thought like, you know, what is the worst that could happen? He's just going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I did approach him with a set of poems. And when he took that, uh, I still have those sheets of paper with me. And when he took that, those sheets and he told me, you know, everybody cannot write poetry. <laughs> Yeah. He told me to, to my face. Like, <laughs> I wanted to set the precedent that if I say that you cannot write poetry, don't take it personally. But he said everybody cannot write poetry. 
and the people think that they can but actually they can't hmm. i was like okay sir how about you just just take a look <laughs> yeah <laughs> just take a look and uh, he didn't come uh, to the to karate classes i don't know why the next day and i was really antsy and anxious and what is he thinking but the very next day he came and i was actually going to some other i don't know where i was going i was going to the canteen and he saw me and he was like oh you need to come with me and he he had written this whole review of my poem and he's like yeah then he he actually told me you can write poetry and that was the most like you know treasured compliment i have ever received oh, yeah <laughs> He is no more in this world. He passed away from COVID complications last year. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm just one of his many students, and he 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 was a giant in the field of uh, education in India. Mm-hmm. But he was really well known in the academic circle, really, really well known. And so once he read my poems, and he actually uh, uh, he actually kind of told me to send some of poems to another literary magazine which one of his friends ran but he said that don't you can take my name but don't badger them with your emails mm-hmm. so i sent them and through him i got to know another like a mentor whom i kept in touch with a couple years back and i don't know whether he's well or not but he was also like a president of a poet circle a local poet circle mm-hmm. so that was that remained the highlight of my whole entire college life these two were the ones who actually and he didn't even keep it to himself that mm-hmm. he told other professors in the department about me that i wrote and they read my things and that was such a huge compliment to me as a really young and my head in the clouds kind of person that i was at that time yeah. it was a huge deal because the professors in my department initially they didn't know my name but they knew that okay this is the woman this is the girl that uh are they used to call me actually rns uh abbreviation for his whole name like mm-hmm. that he is rns's mentor and they knew that i had professors uh talk to me and say yeah you know uh, we heard about you i read your poems they're really good and that was a huge deal that, that would be a huge deal for any student to right. hear that from the teacher so it was it was a very surreal moment for me and still is are there any other challenges that you faced or still are facing i am the first one or we me, me and my husband my husband and i we are the first ones in either of our families to actually go after something like this so we genuinely and truly have no guidelines whatsoever it's mm-hmm. it was uh, like stepping into a tunnel and not knowing what is going on there what what grounds we are standing on what uh, how, what is the length of the tunnel it's completely dark and we are just feeling our way through it it was it is it still is a little bit like that so having no guidelines having no experience having no one to talk to in the field of publishing it was a huge challenge mm-hmm. but i'm still thankful for all the experiences because it has just made us smarter Mm-hmm. what to expect how to expect how to go about doing things close to 6 years of trying now so 6 years of experience it does mean something mm-hmm. yeah um i would love to hear some of your writing um is there something that you would like to share with us yeah i i actually have two blogs 
So they are mostly like literary blogs, um, articles, short stories, humorous uh, stuff and poetry. So from uh, one of the blogs, I would like to, if you'll have me, I could read a small poem. It's called Beautiful. Okay, so here goes. No, I am not beautiful. For what is beauty? But a play of looks, sight and passion. The ache in someone's heart, the fire in their flesh. So, I am not beautiful. I am whole. I am a soul. I am whom you could connect with and speak of yourself, your ideas, your passion, your goal, your desire. And say to me, I am not beautiful. Me too, I shall reply. The highest form of praise ever given. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Do you want to tell us any of the background from what inspired you to write that poem? Social media. Social media. Yeah. <laughs> you see so many standards of like morphed of beauty on social media and I can see it affecting people. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, boys and girls, they have these this really distorted view of how they should be looking. But in my humble opinion, you're, of course, you people should work towards betterment of them, their self, themselves, right? You have to be healthy, exercise and stuff. But to say that I want to look like that Instagram model who has had a ton of filters and uh, who has done jobs done, which a lot of people, they don't accept. They're like, oh, it's all natural. It's Even if you have done, like, you know, gone through a knife, gone under a knife or whatever, just make sure you tell your followers so that they don't fall into this whole disarray of uninvited emotions that they're not enough. And honestly, in this age of polished looks, I feel physical beauty is kind of way too overrated. Of course, it's important. I'm not going to disqualify that. Mm -hmm. But it is way too overrated that you are only focused on what is beautiful on the exterior. Why not focus on what, what is the interior of the soul of the person? how long are you going to look at the person's face and be attracted to them? And at some point you have to open up to the souls, right? Yeah. So this poem just addresses that, that I'm okay with not being called beautiful. You don't call me beautiful and that's fine because I am more than just being uh, something good to look at on the, from the exterior. I am more than that. That is what it tries to say. I hope it does say that. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, when I wrote it and I posted it on my blog, uh, women like girls and women from my contacts they they texted me and they were like yeah this is what like you know mm -hmm. it becomes difficult for us sometimes yeah it does it does because uh, even if like i i don't take i don't take that i don't like to take much that much time to on myself in the sense if i'm going out i'll just opt for something comfortable and i don't care what people think of me but i know that that cannot be the way it is with the people People are conscious of how they look. Of course, I like to dress smart. I don't like to go like a raggedy person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, it just uh, it just puts that unwanted undue pressure on people uh, when you already have so much to deal with. Why should you deal with how you look? And why should you feel bad for it? Because you didn't make yourself. You know, looking back, what stands out to you? Are there any influential people or role models you've had? 
are there any influential experiences that, you know, looking back have really shaped, you know, who you have become now and who you're continuing to become? In my adult years, the most influential person, the most influential people actually are, it might sound cliche, <laughs> but they are Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace be upon him, and his first wife, Khadija Radiallahu Anhu. Uh, then there are uh, his wives and his companions, his female companions, his male companions. Then there are a whole lot of the other prophets. Um, Prophet Moses, his life story is like, wow. And uh, Prophet Isa, which is Jesus to you, his, uh, his story is like incredible. And then there are these prophets and these figures who, who are like, we can't touch them, you know, in the sense that the, the people that they were, and I'm not just talking about uh, the way they were chosen by uh, the Almighty to bear, bear, to bear the message. But I'm talking about the people they were as ind individuals. We cannot reach that level. Mm -hmm. That realization that these people, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu peace be upon him, uh, Khadija Radhirao Anhu, peace be upon her, uh, his other wives, his other companions, the, the Khalifa, which is the leader of the Muslims after him. <clears throat> then uh, all the other prophets that are mentioned in the Quran, they are these magnanimous, magnificent figures, you know, who are so grounded, who are so grounded and so humble and so full of humility. And yeah, people who do not believe in any religion, they might argue that, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of stories, maybe to you. But when you start believing, it will all start making sense. You will connect with them. You will inspire to be like them. And even though you know that you cannot be them, but that realization that you are nowhere in that league, it humbles, it humbles people down to an, a huge extent. You, you look at your own roots and you look down all the time and you try to stay as humble as you are. And that is what I think is, um, it's a blessing. It's a huge blessing. So yeah, in, in my other life, of course, these people inspired me the most. After that, it's my husband who has inspired me, annoyed me, badgered me to become the person I am. Mm -hmm. uh, spouses, uh, spouses are a different breed. I'm sure uh, people who are married for some time, they would agree that nobody can annoy you and infuriate you like your spouse does. It's <laughs> incomparable. <laughs> it cannot compare. Yeah, these, these people and... A lot of people from my childhood, actually, every person I've interacted with, even the smallest of interaction, it does leave a mark. Yeah. I'd love to hear more, you know, just about your spiritual journey in general. Um, being born into a certain faith, not just me, any faith, any person who's born into a certain faith. So pe people from outside their faith, they would say, oh, you have, you've been conditioned into following it, which can be true to a certain extent. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, we were taught to Pray, we were taught to fast, uh, we fasted, we really loved fasting because we thought we were adults or something. You're not, you're kids. <laughs> but there's a saying among Muslims that it doesn't matter even if you're born a Muslim, you have to find your faith some or the other time. You have to revert back to being Muslim at some point in your life, which actually happened with me when I moved here post-marriage. Uh, I moved within a few months of marriage and I had a lot of free time. Of course, like uh, uh, 
<clears throat> my plan, our plan was for me to study. But unfortunately, America's education system is quite expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't go that route. Uh, I did have a lot of time. And I the first things uh, my husband did was to get me a library card. And I am very thankful. I still have the same library card. I still go to the same library. I haven't changed the library. So I, I started reading a lot of, I'm, I was into a lot of thriller. And uh, I still am into murders and uh, psychology. So I read a lot. I used to read a lot of books. But then I started thinking, you know, that uh, since I'm here, I have time. Why not just start reading about the faith that I am a part of. That's where it started. You, you have the Quran, it's in Arabic. And even though we know to read Arabic, but we do not understand it colloquially, in the sense that what you're reading, you won't, wouldn't understand, you would need a translation, a separate page of translation for it. So up till the, that point, I had only read it in Arabic. I had memorized verses I, and things, but you, you didn't know what it meant. So when we came here, I just thought to myself, okay, yeah, let me just, I have the facility of internet, so let me just put it to good use. And then a friend of my husband's, she actually mailed me a copy of the translation of the Quran, which was a really good copy. I still read it. I still have it. It was a really good copy. and was really, I was extremely excited to go through it. So I, I just skipped all the Arabic portions and just dived straight into the English part, the translation. So when I read it, and it just impacted me. I don't, it just impacted me in a way like I have been reading the same thing my whole life, but how come I have never tried to understand it? And there's this whole gem of a thing here, which I'm, which is like within my grasp and it's taken me so long to identify it. It's, it's taken me so long to realize it. And post that, there's been no looking back. It's just been reading, reading and more reading. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really like to do is like if there's a there's an issue cropping up in my mind, something related to why is this not permissible? So I asked a lot of questions, you know. I just asked and asked and asked until I reached to that certain point where either I was convinced mm -hmm. or I would put it aside for a certain amount of time and I, I would just pray like, you know, maybe give me that understanding. I don't have that understanding to look at this thing in a certain light this way. So asking questions, reading, listening to good, uh, good, good scholars, it just helped me fortify the faith that I was born to. So I kind of, I would say that I've reverted back to what I was born to. Mm -hmm. It has been, it has its ups and downs. I wouldn't say that I'm like, I, I don't think any spiritual person would any tell, anytime tell you that they're perfectly spiritual. There's an aspect of spiritual, spirituality which entitles you to accept that you are not that into it as people see you to be so there's still a long road to go on but yeah i think i'm i am on the right track so you previously mentioned when we were talking um mm -hmm. that you had struggles on your path to become a writer um but that your faith helped you be able to overcome. I would love to hear more about how your faith helped you to overcome that. There was a point in my life, uh, I told you, right? It's been like five, five plus years of me trying to get published, which is not, I wouldn't say it's, it's been a long time, but it has been some time. It's been a substantial amount of time. Uh, there was a point in, of uh, time in my life where I actually felt that I'm, I'm just like, uh, I'm just a fraud. <laughs> That I'm just, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, 
posing to be a good writer and if i'm if i'm that good a writer why isn't anything getting published mm. and uh, i actually decided i was almost my mind was almost made up that i would leave just leave it leave the blogs leave everything and just you know just go on and figure out something mm-hmm. that was a low point in my faith because although uh, we have another saying in uh, like you know an islamic saying that if you pray for something and you get it it is a blessing if you pray for something and you do not get it it's a protection mm-hmm. from allah subhanahu okay because maybe that thing would have harmed you more than it would have benefited you so we are we sh- as muslims i personally don't look for closures i try not to look for closures it happened because it had to happen it was the will of the one who made me and he knows me the best that mm-hmm. is it which is not an easy thing which is a really hard thing to actually embrace in your real life yeah and uh, i have a diary of over 100 rejections to being rejected by over 100 people with the same type of letters and i have these long letters from agents where they're like oh yeah your work has this potential and we really love it but it is not something we are pursuing at the moment wow and i'm like if you love it why can't you just take it on right so it's a, it was a very difficult road but then uh, i i decided to leave it and then at that time my husband and my siblings my brother and my sister they were very much against the idea of me just uh, destroying my work with my own hands you know they were like you know whatever progress you have made you have to you have to continue it even though it doesn't feel much mm-hmm. that time i prayed a lot and that time i had to keep reminding myself of the same thing that this is a protection this is a protection i am not ready yet even though i cannot see and even though it feels like there's no point in going forth i must keep pushing ahead because this is a test and this is a test where you do not get things that you want that that makes it even more enticing to leave like you know let go of your faith like you know oh, it's not happening it's not meant to happen but then when you keep on going then you keep on pushing yourself and you keep reminding yourself that this is a protection from the one who has created me that is a test of your faith that was really the hardest one of the hardest times of my life but i genuinely had to keep pushing myself every single day like i wasn't depressed or anything i was just very much uninspired yeah and for any person to not be uninspired in something that really want to do it's a scary thing it's a really scary thing and i used i had to get up every day and i had to i had to keep reminding in every myself in every prayer every time i prayed that you know this is for your good you will be you will get what you want when you are the most ready for it so this is all a preparation time mm-hmm. yeah it, it helped me a lot <laughs> if i didn't have that kind of thinking or if i didn't have that kind of inclination that everything happens for a reason and this is the best course for me uh, i think i would have left i wouldn't be here talking to you that that's for sure <laughs> that is what what are some of the aspects of your faith in islam that you love the most one aspect is there are many aspects actually the best aspect that i love is discipline like our day is meant to be disciplined there is a whole we we pray five times a day okay so the first prayer is at the start of dawn before before even the sun rises okay so if you have to catch that prayer you have to get up early yeah so our days go by in accordance to the prayers so we we usually do not talk if we have to leave 
or some place, or if we have to do something, we wouldn't say, uh, you know, let's, we would say like, let's leave, leave at this time, but usually would say, oh, let's leave after this prayer. So our days are compartmentalized according to the prayers, which in turn binds us into this whole discipline of maintaining that schedule if you want to pray on time. And note that we cannot, you can pray, you can miss prayers if you, like there's absolutely a reason, but it is not a good thing to miss prayers in our dictionary, okay? okay. Because one of the things we believe, firmly believe is when you are lowered into your grave after your death, the first thing that you will be questioned about are your prayers. So we have to be really sticking to the schedule with it. May I ask but, a question? Sure, sure. Are these prayers, is there, are there set words that you're saying or is it yes. set words? Okay. Yes. So mm-hmm. prayers are, uh, each prayer, are, there are three types of prayers, okay? One is uh, the farad, which is the obligatory prayers. You must pray those. Uh, they are sometimes pair, paired with sunnah, as in, if you pray it, uh, it's a good thing, it is recommended prayers, sunnah prayers. And the third prayer is like, it's optional. You can pray it, nafil, those are called nafil prayers. You can either pray it or leave it. Mm-hmm. But if you pray it, you will get the reward equivalent to the obligatory prayers. Okay, there, there is a set way in which you should pray. Like, there, it isn't allowed for us to be deviated from that, the way we have to pray. Because uh, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi may peace be upon him, he said clearly in a hadith, in, in one of the narrations from his life, he said, uh, pray as you see me pray. He never mentioned man or woman. Or he never mentioned pray as you see me praying, O man. Or pray as you see me praying, O woman. He just said pray as you see me pray. So we pray the same way that he taught us to pray. Yeah. People make changes, they add and they subtract, but it is not allowed. Yeah. Okay? It's not allowed. Yeah, that does sound like you would have to be very disciplined. Yes. Yeah. You have to be. We, if you are fasting, there are five pillars of Islam. One is the prayer. One is the shahada. Shahada is the declaration of faith, where you declare that you believe in one God and that Prophet Muhammad is his messenger. The third is the fasting, the song that we fast. Uh, it pertains to the Ramadan period, the one month of fasting that we observe. The fourth is zakah, which is the charity that we give to other that is an obligation. And the five, fifth is hajj, the pilgrimage that we make to Mecca and Medina. So these are the five pillars of Islam. And in order to, five pillars in the sense, these are obligatory on every Muslim except the hajj. The hajj portion is not obligatory to people who cannot afford it. Okay, it is, it is, uh, it is uh, a duty to be fulfilled by people who can afford it, but not an obligation to people who are financially not able to afford it. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the things are, uh, and yeah, zakat also. Zakat also depends on the charity. Also depends on your income. If you are below a certain income group, it's not an obligation on you. Mm-hmm. So in order to fulfill any of these. Uh, aspects of Islam, you have to be pretty disciplined. You have to be really, you have to really set your mind to it. My seven-year-old, she, when she fasts, she loves to fast. So she has to get up early. If you're fasting, you have, there's something called suhul, which is the meal you take right before uh, the morning prayers. And after that, you don't eat anything until the evening prayers. And it does not matter how long the day is. Okay. So in US, sometimes the morning, the sunrise is in the summer, the sunrise is at around 5, 5.36. We have to be done by then. And then the sunset is around 9. We have to stay uh, without food and drink through the whole day. 
okay uh to do that once you get up in the morning our natural instinct is to start working once you're done with your prayers you start taking care you start going on rituals so the earlier you start the earlier you will finish it it puts your life in a balance where it's like you know what's going to happen tomorrow what you're going to do tomorrow basically mm-hmm. in a generic way so that is one of the aspects of islam i really really love the discipline that it has for us i have been told going up by a lot of my not a lot of but some of my muslim friends that you know uh it's really too difficult and i'm like it's not difficult just it's all here in your mind mm-hmm. you put your mind to it you can do it it's not difficult we as three year old four year olds we have done this so for me to for 30 plus 40 plus people to come and tell me that it's too difficult i i genuinely do not buy that <laughs> <laughs> because no you do you don't want to do it that's fine that's your choice but yeah. it is not difficult because i have done it as a three year old my daughters my kids are doing it. our kids do it Mm-hmm. it's not difficult it's all about how you program yourself to be you know mm-hmm. another aspect of islam is like the the importance it lays on the relationship you have with not just your creator but the people around you that includes your family your friends your relatives your neighbors even in islam even our neighbors have a right over us it is said that if i have my plate full and my neighbor is <clears throat> sleeping hungry i will be questioned as to why i did not share my food with my neighbor it is to that extent mm-hmm. so the the importance it it gives on the, your interaction with other people your relationship with people around you that is i think something uh, i really love because it just it, it's not a me me and narcissistic piece of faith mm-hmm. it tells you that you know yes you have to be spiritual yes you have to get closer to your creator but in order to get closer to your creator you also have to take care of your own self your own body your own needs the people around you your body has a right over you your the people around you has a right over you have a right over you so yeah these these i think are the, the three basic things which i really love about my religion there are a lot many we could just <laughs> go on and on but to conclude yeah these three things the the discipline we have uh, the mindset it puts the discipline puts us in and then our relationship with other people the stress it lays on our relationships so that really that really inspires me that really speaks to me on various levels well thank you so much for joining us i it's been such a pleasure to have you and to learn about you and your life and your struggles and um just in conclusion I would love to know number 1 what do you hope for the future um and number 2 do you have any advice or last closing thoughts to share with us what do i hope in the near future i just hope my book becomes successful <laughs> <laughs> best seller printed on every newspaper every news channel mm-hmm. wishful thinking but we can only hope yeah. <laughs> but yeah jokes aside i would the hope that i could leave i wouldn't say it would be too high of me to say that i could change the world you can't one person cannot but if i could make a difference into the lives of people i know and even if i do not know if i could could leave this world knowing that my children will are people who are giving members of the society like by having them the society only benefits they do not take away from them that would be rewarding by itself you know you nobody carries your legacy better than your own children no matter what you have uh, and nobody can ruin them as 
गुड एज जस्ट द होप दैट आई कुड ग्रो इन टू अ मच बेटर पर्सन इट्स नॉट इजी टू ग्रो इन टू अ पर्सन फॉर होम पीपल आर थैंकफुल फॉर and i'm trying uh, i'm not a people pleaser that's out of the way i can never be a people pleaser uh, but yes i would i do like to i do like to be in positions where i could lend my hand to somebody i wouldn't say help them because in reality they are the ones helping me yeah okay uh, to lend a hand to ease things for them because that uh, that factor of my personality it just comes around to me when i need help the most people have come through beautifully it's like a it's it's almost like miraculous when i think about it and uh, yeah what what advice can i give people <laughs> those are pretty big words advice i really don't like to give advice but i would just say just keep life simple make it simple for yourself and for others if you don't want toxicity in your life do not be a toxic person in somebody else's life uh keep a check on yourself keep checking yourself on whether something you're doing is good or not and if it's not don't be shy to say sorry and don't be shy to change yourself uh but that does not mean that you give ammunition in the hands of somebody who's actually a threat to you you know some people try to be too nice and then they will literally go and tell this manipulative abusive person that oh i'm really sorry and then that person will hold it over the head you said sorry to me remember that you know mm-hmm. do not give ammunition to other people be smart be kind be perceptive of what the other person wants from you everybody is not your friend and neither is everybody your enemy yeah, there has to be a balance yeah i think that should be enough too much of it and i better start writing a blog about it <laughs> speak too much no you're great thank you so much asha for sharing all of your thoughts and your story you have an incredible life and it's just been you know such a blessing to be able to you know meet you and learn from you so thank you so much um last thing where can people find you and your work they can uh search for me on my instagram handle okay uh, i keep uh, posting my blog links from time to time there you can just follow the blogs if, even if you don't follow you can just click on the link read what is what is there explore the blogs and i'm sure there's something for everybody mm-hmm. especially i've been told that my blogs are something that people read because they don't want to read any heavy things you know they don't want to include themselves in a, another discussion on world affairs yeah and societal affairs so they just go to my blogs and read things uh some of my readers they do not like it when i change the tone of my blog i had one message and meet and tell me that i used to i love your blog but why the hell are you writing about societal issues and i was like okay, i'm sorry i'm going to go back to what i was writing <laughs> so maybe just maybe hoping that uh, you guys will like my blogs yeah and you can of course find me on instagram and i there there are regular updates on my blogs there so you don't need to follow me but yeah you can check it out once in a while okay well thank you so much it was a pleasure and i hope you have a good rest of your night you too, you too. thank you so much for having me it was so nice to rant to you because i was the one talking <laughs> but it was really nice thank you so much for having me